Welcome to Glass Half Full Moon, where if we didn't spread the fungus among us, Full Moon Features will go out of business. Tonight, I am your infectious host, Gabe, here with my co-host, Casey. Casey, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little soggy, you know, it's, it's been pretty dreary in my part of the world. It's been rainy and wet and mm. you, you never know what kind of mm, That sounds delightful. That sounds delightful to me. What? No. No, that sounds horrible uh, to human beings like me. <laughs> no, I, I know what bit you're doing, Gabe, but the funny part is if you were really a mold, you'd want to warm and moist, not cold and moist. Well, these sick guitar riffs are going to help heat things up. Uh, <laughs> you get a weird one tonight, folks. Yeah. Tonight, we are discussing 1992's Bad Channels, a sci-fi parody uh, with a soundtrack done by Blue Oyster Cult. Is it listed as a parody? Uh, I, the Wikipedia article, when I was first looking it up, listed it as a parody. I feel like that's them going back on things, be like, uh, no, this wasn't bad at all. It was intentional. This was a parody. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, maybe. It got real bad reviews. Tell me something new about Full Moon Features. True. That is very, very true. I, it, I'm, I'm going to have a bit of an unpopular opinion. I liked this one a lot. Okay. I would say... I would agree. I would say I liked it. Not a lot. It was one of those movies that... While it's not particularly good, it's real unique. It's dumb and it's fun. It's dumb and it's fun, and it, I'm pretty sure it knows it's dumb and it's fun. I mean, yeah, that's. I think that's where the parody part comes in, because it's like, it kind of pokes fun at your standard alien invasion films and whatnot, but it it knows it's dumb and it's fun, and I think this might have been sponsored by MTV. It very well could have been. Um, I suppose we should get into it from there, because it would lead us into the first talking point, where it opens up and we get some real nice funk going on over in this uh, intro sequence. Green opening credits on a black background with funky sci-fi style music, and I heard the cowbell. It's got some good cowbell. It's got some good cowbell. and I, th I think it might have learn... made it a little bit more. Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit more. <laughs> the music is really good because it happens to have been done by Blue Oyster Cult. I just said that. I'm sorry. I have fungus memory. Um, <laughs> you got some mold in your ears. Now we discuss it uh, where you see... I think you're more familiar with Blue Oyster Cult than me. Well, that's only because I'm older than you. And not by that much. I wouldn't say we're like a generation apart. I'm exactly. almost 30. So, <laughs> I, anyway, I'm older it, than you, and I I have I have absorbed quite a bit of late '80s culture. Um, would you say that you're a fan of Blue Oyster Cult? The thing is, I know Blue Oyster Cult one from Guitar Hero because I freaking love their song Godzilla, and very good. Two. From the SNL skit that we literally just referenced, Needs More Cowbell. Right. So that is what I know of from Blue Oyster Cult, but what I've heard, 
I like. I mean, they gave us Don't Fear the Reaper. How can you yeah, not like Don't Fear the Reaper? I looked them up on Wikipedia, and it at some point someone referred to them as America's answer to Black Sabbath, which I don't quite believe, but I'm willing to accept that's what they referred to themselves as. Uh, I can't say because I'm not familiar with Black Sabbath. I mean, fair enough. I mean, you know Ozzy Osbourne and stuff. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Crazy Train's a fun song, so. And Blue Oyster Cult is over here on the on the beginning credits. And as, as much as I love Dick Band's work, I would say Blue Oyster Cult knocks it out of the park in this film. They... And we'll get to some of the specifics. Not, they don't just do background tracks where, where, like, background, like, instrumentals. We'll get to some specific moments of Blue Oyster Cult. Well, actually, I know exactly what you're referring to, and we'll we'll touch on that later, but it's not what you think it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, but we'll touch on that a bit later. As we open on a power station worker named Willis checking out an issue at a substation that is sending off sparks and blaming it on a new radio station, because that's how electrical grids work, I guess. Well, that's how they thought they worked in the 90s. They thought the world was going to end because, like... A clock was off. Yeah, that's very true. We, we've we learned quite a bit in the near 30 years from this film's creation. So this gentleman, Willis, is going around trying to figure out what this electrical disturbance is. And he finds a weird bio rope. And it, it goes on and on and up and up. And I believe he gets abducted in this scene, or at least attacked by an alien. As we see a weird, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey type light show going on in the sky. I called it a moldy worm. <laughs> I, I referred to it as a bio rope, or in the UFO as the techno tunnel. I called it a moldy worm, because <laughs> that's what it looks like attached to this substation node. It, it looks like a moldy worm. I mean, <laughs> and you know what? That's what they were going for, so I can't blame them. But we find out that the radio station he's referring to is a new radio station called Superstation 66, a former 24-hour polka station that, since having found it can now broadcast nationally on its frequency, has been taken over by a Howard Stern-style shock jock named Dangerous Dan O'Dare. Right. They they say that the reason they can broadcast nationally is because no other station uses the frequency 666 because of superstition. I was like, you know what, that's right. I believe that. that yeah. We don't put 13th floors into buildings because of weird number frights. So th this makes sense. Yeah. But we get our introduction to our shock jock, who is playing polka until someone can guess the combination to the padlock that keeps him chained to the wall. He refers this to it as Polka Hell. I love Polka Hell. It's the greatest. <laughs> I So, with us meeting Dan O'Hare... Dan O'Dare. I... Danger Dan O'Hare. Dan O'Dare. O'Dare. I'm an idiot. But I, I liked him as a character up until a point that we'll get to. <laughs> uh, but I thought that his actor and the way that he pulled off the shock jock persona worked pretty well. I agree. Like, I don't like Dan as a person, but I like him as a character. 
Like, as a right. person, He's... I would just straight up punch him in the nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I also don't have patience for that type of person. But as a character in an alien invasion movie, I think he's great. Yeah. Uh, so I have, where I live, There are so, there's a radio station near me that has kind of a shock jock thing going on. And they do stunts like this sometimes. And, it gave, and the whole chain thing gave me vibes of that. And it made me feel real cozy and close to home. <laughs> and we learn that... Oh, so all of this is being done through, like, the vignette of a news broadcast. There is a news station reporting on this radio station that all of a sudden now can broadcast nationally. And while this chain stunt is going on, there is a news team there. And Dan is both trying to get people to unlock the chains and also do the interview... Where the gentleman at the radio station, at rather the uh, TV station, is able to guess the lock correctly on air, which is uh, rather suspicious, wouldn't you say? Just a touch. I mean, like, his response did sound quite rehearsed. But we also have to mention the few small characters that we get calling in from the local town that, uh... We are introduced to and sort of come back to later on, like Bunny, the obviously too old for high school high school girl who guesses with her measurements. Right. And then there's also the truck stop owner, Peanut. Not a single one of these characters have a proper noun as their name. Like, there's Peanut, Cookie, Moon, Grits, Corky. Bunny. It... These aren't names, they're nouns in a children's book. Oh, and then there's Flip. That's a verb. <laughs> and Flip is our news anchor. The only Flip people with anchor. proper names are Dan and Lisa, who was the journalist doing his interview. And she's the one who straight up calls him out for saying, I think you bribed Flip for all this. Uh, with the car that he will, would have won for guessing the padlock combination correctly. And she straight up calls him out and threatens to go to the FCC. Yeah, and we should also say that Dan here, he's on a bit of thin ice when it comes to the FCC because apparently he had accidentally broadcasted a live sexual encounter between him and someone else <laughs> on a previous station. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know what? Fair enough. That's, you know what, I would accept that as a, re as like, I don't know if disgraced radio DJs are a thing that exists, but if they did, this is probably their backstory. I thought all radio DJs were slightly disgraceful, except for the one great Clint McElroy. <laughs> Even then, he's a little... Uh. No, that's only because of what he does outside of it. As a radio DJ, he is the one great Clint McElroy. Fair enough. <laughs> uh... So, also, I would say that the dialogue up to this point has been pretty good. I, I quite like the dialogue in this film. Yeah, like, the, it, the interactions feel genuine. Right, and so, when Dan is confronting Lisa, it's very clear that they are meant to be... They're, they're the romantic interests, yes. right? And because of this, I, I, I expected... After going through Meridian and Subspecies, I expected her to be, like, all goo-goo for him immediately. But, no, she fucking hates his guts. 
all up until the end when she he saves her life. I'm like, you know what? Good. That's exactly what it should be like. And I bet you right after he saved her life, she just, like, went right back to hating him once the endorphins wore off. Right. It's not... It it feels a lot less forced than other Full Moon features. Not to say that it it doesn't feel forced, but less forced at the very least. Yeah. Yeah, we we do find out that the contest was indeed rigged in promise that the station would send Lisa as the journalist to do the interview. Because Dan's got a thing for Lisa. And, I, I, again, I love here that she's, like, super mad about this and, like, is very upset with him. And he's trying to be like, hey, babe, no, come on. Like, she's like, no, fuck you. You're lucky I don't go to the FCC right now. Yeah. Oh, and we also we also uh, learn from the newscast that there has been an increase in sightings of UFOs in California, because that's where all the people live, and that's where UFO sightings would happen if they did. And that's where this town of Pahuta is, as it is called. Pa- How did you remember the town's name? Pahuta. I wrote it down. Pahuta. <laughs> Pahuta. Pa- Pahuta. <laughs> It sounds like the name of some ancient Babylonian god, Pahuta. I'm absolutely putting that in D&D now. As you should. But now we get no more polka. We summon the great Pahuta. (laughs) (laughs) But no, we did not summon the great Pahuta as Aliens Done touched down right behind the station. And all the equipment goes haywire. Right. We get... I forget exactly where this is in the sequence of events, but there is someone uh, who is delivering food to the station, or is, was working at the station and then was returning with food, who gets z- vaporized out of existence by this alien, and we see the silhouette of the alien. They got a big old fat head, <laughs> fat lumpy head. So and he I, wasn't and... he wasn't working at the station. He was actually Lisa's cameraman. Right. He was right. Lisa's cameraman, but before this happens, we actually go back to the substation, um, because Lisa has left, and we go back to the substation and find Willis being uh, interrogated by the sheriff, and obviously Willis is in hysterics because he was abducted by aliens, and they done poked him! He's doing a real good job of acting hysterical. They, they done poked him, and Lisa shows up on the scene, and she's like, the people deserve to know, and she's got her portable camera and everything. And Willis is like, "They done pokes me in the chest," and then he pulls a, he pulls a Superman and rips off his shirt, and he's got like the worst case of athlete's foot I've ever seen on it's his a chest. Big, it's a big thing of layered silicone that they just sort of stuck on his chest. And he's just standing there with his shirt open going, ah! <laughs> he, he got molded real good. He's like he's like that piece of chicken that's been in the back of your fridge for two weeks. Casey. Yes. Did, did Resident Evil 7 rip off bad channels? Maybe. Mmm, think about it. Maybe. The, there was the vague connection of mold. I would say that's enough to... To have copyright violation, but 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 were there aliens in Resident Evil? Probably on given the. No, no, not know. Resident Evil. The aliens are in Silent Hill. 
You're right. You're right. Also, it's not the first recent property to use mold as a sort of antagonistic effect, considering the very first episode of the Creepshow TV series, TV series that Shudder put out, also involves dangerous mold. Man, mold is just the worst, dude. I know. Our bathroom's full of it. Okay, cool. Didn't need to know that. <laughs> but we get a silhouette of the alien, and he's got a big old fat head, and I just was hoping, I was praying to God, that it just turned out he had a big fat afro. <laughs> That's kind of what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of lumpy and has texture to it, and we'll get a look at the alien later. It sucks. We actually, we so get a look aware. at the alien actually pretty quickly, because as... Corky's dealing with the transmitters in the station going nuts. Um, Wait, we skip over something very important. Which is? Dan's racism. Oh, yeah. Where he's calling out the reporter over the radio, and he's doing a very horrible Chinese accent. Yeah, one of those very stereotypically racist Chinese accents that was very popular in the early 90s. And it, I, I wrote down consecutively in my notes, dude, I love Dan. Okay, now I hate Dan. <laughs> I mean, he's a shock jock. His whole thing is to offend people. Fair enough. And we also get a scene where Dan is talking to the producer at the radio station and is like, yeah, I'm going to take on the fucking news networks and my radio station. And I just wrote down, what's the saying about the TV and the radio star? <laughs> yeah, I, I, remember, I remember playing that song a lot whenever I had Dance Dance Revolution for my PlayStation. Mm. Now, we also get, so we get more of the alien silhouette as it's sort of creeping along the outside of the station and we learn that he's got like a little robot he keeps on a leash behind him that he's just carrying along and at first it looked like he the alien just had an oxygen tank like a, a wheeling behind him and it was very odd <laughs> the alien's been smoking too much basically yeah and what we get is the alien breaking in and we get to see the outfit in all its glory and it's it's horrible. He looks like a lump of charcoal on legs. He looks like a langolier. He does look like a langolier. Oh my gosh. He's got a big fat moldy head. He's a burnt meatball. He's a burnt meatball. <laughs> he's a burnt meatball on legs. and his He's got a dumb little robot friend who has a brain in a dome a la... Ricky in Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Listen, I loved the fucking robot. The robot was the best character. I want an action figure of that fucking robot. <laughs> but he's got a brain in a liquid-filled dome like Ricky in Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 when Bill Mosley played him and they, keep for and they kept forgetting the previous movies. It's... It's very fun. It's very fun. The costume is terrible. Robot is great. That should be the takeaway. And then the two guys just start fucking screaming at the top of their lungs. 
as the alien takes over the entirety of the radio station with their weirdo mold. And at this point, I, I should say that of all the types of sort of alien interpretations, the biotech type aliens have always been the freakiest to me. I agree. They've always been my favorite. Like, the fact that they could seamlessly mesh together uh, organic and inorganic compounds to the point to use them technologically, I've always found that so fascinating. Yeah, and that's kind of what's happening here, where they have these sort of mold entities that they are attaching to the radio and stuff, and they're kind of... And they're taking control of it through that. And in a better movie, this could have been genuinely kind of unsettling. And I suppose it could have been more unsettling normally, but this they're, they're saying this movie was a parody, but so, you know, I guess... You also whatever. have to consider who directed this movie and what the last film he directed was. This is already a huge step up. This was directed by Ted Nicolau, who directed another of our favorites, Subspecies. Oh, right. This this is definitely a, a step up from subspecies. This is a huge step up from subspecies. But especially considering one of my favorite lines in the film, they've got the sheriff taking the station worker Willis to the hospital, and as they're pulling him out of the back of the car, he screams, Oh god, I have cooties! What? I missed that completely. <laughs> I didn't. He literally screams, I have cooties, as they're pulling him out of the back of the car to, at the hospital. It's great. It's really fucking weird. It's so good. And they go to the hospital, and the doctor's just kind of, like, peeling bits of this mold off him, and he just immediately knows that it's mold. And I'm like, how would you possibly know that? He also he also says it's the worst case of jock itch he's ever seen. So it's it's a mold or it's a fungus. They're as far as I'm concerned, they're in the same family, but I know they're not. They're fucking as far as bullshit sci-fi is concerned, they're interchangeable. Yeah, but he calls it the worst case of jock itch he's ever seen, and that's hilarious to me, especially considering he just said he had cooties. So I'm like, you're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. So, the next scene we get is... So, Dan and, uh, what's-his-face, the other, the technician... Corky! Uh, Corky, right. Uh, Corky and Dan are awake in the recording studio now. Where they see the whole place is covered in mold, with the mold creatures, like, taking control of everything... And they they start broadcasting out over the network, and everyone just thinks they're doing a War of the Worlds, where it's just, oh, this is a fun little prank old Dan's making on the world. Yeah, that's I think that's why it's a parody of sorts, because it is sort of playing off the whole War of the Worlds, except it's in reverse. Because with the War of the Worlds, everyone thought it was real. Whereas with this one, it's a real alien invasion. That no one believes. Yeah, it's it's kind of... So one thing I will uh, commend to this movie for, narratively, is that it's a real slow burn as far as everyone figuring out that there is an alien invasion. Where everyone's starting out like, ah, this is just a little prank being played on by Dan. And then a few more people find out it's real. Then a few more people find out it's real. And then the news team's coming in and, oh god, call in the military. It, 
it is a genuine ramp up in stakes that I, I, I thought was good on a structural level. Yeah, like, this this is definitely one of the better offerings from Full Moon, I would say. And you want to know what makes it even better? The sudden music video interims. The sudden music video interims, yes. <laughs> yes. Shortly after our silent alien and robot fight each other wordlessly and the alien done bonks him on the head, we find ourselves back in Peanuts truck stop focused on the waitress who we find is named Cookie. And a band busts into the truck stop and this just straight up turns into a music video. It is... 100% a music video for Blue Oyster Cult. This isn't Blue now, Oyster it... Cult. What? No. Uh, I actually looked this up. There are three bands that do these uh, music video scenes. Because we have three music video scenes in this movie. And each one is a different band. This band is called Fair Game. What? It should have been obvious oh. that it wasn't Blue Oyster Cult from the... The hospital music video? Yeah, fair enough. I just thought that they were going wild on that one, but, like, oh, that that makes this movie infinitely more interesting to me. Yes, this is a band called Fair Game with their song Blind Faith, and everyone in the truck stop is getting into it, people are dancing, Cookie's on the countertop dancing in a leather jacket and miniskirt, and then we find out it's just all in her head. Yeah, so if I can if I can uh, let people in behind the scenes for a second, we discuss sort of the opening line that we do for each of these each of these recordings, and the one you provided was where if we didn't bust into music videos that only we could see. I assume that was an exaggeration. No, that is what happens in the film. <laughs> That's right. I watched this before you did, and. It was very odd because it is really just a complete non sequitur as far as the narratives is concerned of just a music video. Well, we you have to consider the fact that the way these aliens are targeting their abductees is based off of who is listening to the radio at the time. And with the polka gone... Uh, Dan turned it into a rock and roll station. So obviously they're using the music that Dan would be playing at this point during his broadcast. Sure, but there's no reasonable way that it should go on for three minutes. Well, it's a full music video. I'm talking about in-universe. Oh, it's a full music video. You know what? Fair enough. Also, I'm pretty sure these truck drivers were, since this is a truck stop, I'm pretty sure they were just watching and enjoying the free show. Yeah. We, I don't think, we don't get tits in this, but we get a lot of suggestive dancing. There's a lot of suggestive dancing, but this is, uh, uh, strike two for our, uh, titless counter. Is, are we gonna be doing the no tits, uh, combo streak now? I think- Who knows? I was going to say, I think it we might be uh, better off counting how many films don't show tits when it comes to full mm, moon. Perhaps. There's a lot of cleavage, though. There's a lot of cleavage. There's a lot of cleavage, and there's a lot of suggestive, suggestive dancing. But as 
Cookie's finishing up her dancing and whatnot, she gets kind of whoop whooped away and ends up shrinking her down and she's in a tiny jar. What? They it's like they trans they transported her across radio waves, it feels like. It's like that scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, with Mike TV, yeah. Except instead of uh TV waves, it's radio waves. Yeah. Did Roll Doll rip off bad channels? No, bad channels would rip off Roll Doll. I know, that was a joke. <laughs> but I don't understand why the shrinking was important. Easier to transport? I suppose, but... Oh, we should also say that after th- this woman gets captured, Flip goes and runs and tries to escape and gets bodied by the alien. No, no, that's in- Corky. Fuck, whatever. Flip, these names Flip, are bullshit. Flip is the, uh, the news anchor. Corky is our radio uh, production guy. But yeah, he goes and tries to attack the aliens because he's just like so incensed at this abduction and they straight up zap him and turn him into a mold cocoon. No, important uh, thing to note here. He doesn't attack the aliens. He doesn't attempt to help the women in any way. He just tries to leave. I thought he tried to attack them. No, because that leads to a really good bit later on where where Dan is reporting on the radio about Corky's death is like he died a hero trying to save these women and it's it's really funny when you think about how he was not a hero at all and he was just oh, trying to save I himself I must not have been paying that close attention Yeah that's what I that's what I I that's what I thought it was a particularly funny bit where he's just like he died a hero he was a great man. He tried to save those women. Where his entire goal was, fuck, I need to get out of here. Yeah. And we get another scene of radio bullshit. And he's... he Okay, so Dan tries to leave again. But the alien is very specific in not killing him. Or not letting him leave. They just keep... Just keep talking, Dan. Just keep talking. Yeah, Dan's been broadcasting the whole time with his little headset right after this we get our second music video of the night where the character bunny who is in the school auditorium calls back and is getting captured by and is now being targeted by the aliens and we can see on a little panel on the mold that the aliens can see her and, and are targeting her and are dragging her in. And I would say out of the three music videos we get, this is definitely the most forgettable for me. It's the most forgettable, but also the most sexual. Right. It, it gets very, very... It, which is very odd because I I believe this character is meant to be a high schooler. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. But I'm, I'm just going to believe that was a Charles Band executive order and blame it all on him. And this is the music video. Oh, actually, I wonder. Because um, this song is performed by DMT. And it's called Touching Myself Again. But a cursory Google search shows it's also by, by Blue Oyster Cult. 
So I'm wondering if they like wrote the songs, created them, and then had different uh, different bands perform them. That would be pretty interesting, and I think that would be if it all. Because I would need to go back and watch the credits, because I believe a lot of the songs were attributed to Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. And we move forward after this. Bunny is captured, and we cut back to the hospital where the bit of mold that the doctor cut off of, uh, what's his name? Willis. Uh, Willis. The bit of mold that the doctor pulled off of Millis, Willis was reacting to the music and has grown into a weird tentacle thing that the cop character that has been floating around this movie so far just runs in and starts fucking shooting. Yeah, he's just... The the mold just wants to groove, you know? But might, might I also add the one thing we didn't mention in the Jim uh, music video was just the, the, the creep obvious like guy who's infatuated with bunny in the marching band uniform one in the music video scene dancing with her really really badly and two right in reality just watching her with a smile like a total creeper that he is right right it's it's very there's there are some good bits because since this is only something that exists in the woman's head of people just looking at them being very confused about what's happening that is very funny to me yeah it's it's definitely great in that regard it's one of my favorite things and after the sheriff shoots the mold they try to break into the radio station to stop whatever's going on because at this point they know that these girls are disappearing and dan is reporting on it so there's probably a connection there and we need to get in there and stop it yeah, and they're under the assumption that this is a hostage situation. Right. Which, again, it's a bit of a slow burn where a pe- more and more people are figuring out that this is a thing that's happening and people are getting more and more concerned. Like, oh shit, what the fuck is... Where are all these women going? And they get a battering ram and try to break into the station proper when the mold, like, attacks them back. No, As no, it doesn't it doesn't attack them back. What they do is they smash the battering ram onto a bit of the mold that's sealing the door and it splurshes and gets on their faces and then you just start rubbing it in. Splurge all over my face. <laughs> oh no, I get the juice in my eyes. <laughs> they they just start literally just rubbing it all over their face and you can tell like they're trying to like convey agony. Of some sort, but it's clear they're just rubbing it all over their face like it's a good Korean moisturizer. Oh no! <laughs> it's all over my face. Get it off. It doesn't Can someone get me like a bottle of water so I can just kind of wash it off? Can someone get me a rag, please? It, it done splurged all over my face and I, I need to <laughs> splurge some water on it to get it off. Yeah. And. <laughs> So, throughout these hospital scenes, there's been a nurse that's been listening to the radio broadcast this entire time. She is now the next target, and she is being locked in on by the alien, and we get the Captain Happy music video. This this song is actually called Manic Depresso, and it's by a band called Psychotic Symphony. Psychotic spelled S-Y-K-O-T-I-K. 
Symphony spelled S-I-N-F-O-N-E-Y. I basically, I before I found this out, I called this band Oingo Boingo Meets Mindless Self-Indulgence. Yeah, the... Basically, yeah. Uh, now that I know what their name is spelled, they have very bad SEO results. They do indeed. Um, but might I say I love the nud and shredding on guitar in this oh, scene. Oh yeah, absolutely. Th- this is by far the wildest music video where there's just a bunch of fucking freakazoids dressed up in costumes. It kind of reminded me of like a Primus video- mu- music video. I thought this one was great. This one was yeah. so freaking fun. It was very fun. It was very uh, self-aware, I should say. And they're just they're just having a good fucking good time, like singing like this circus song about how everything sucks. It's it's so good. I personally would recommend watching this movie if you want something dumb and fun, if only for this hospital music video, or just find the hospital music video on YouTube and watch that. Then you you'll be fine. And that is that is the point where I was like, was this movie sponsored by MTV? Yeah, this does feel very MTV. This does feel very. Oh, we we had to make bumpers for the MTV shows, and might as well make a movie around it. This is basically when MTV was airing Beavis and Butthead. Right. It 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 does feel very much that era. It does but i personally loved it and of course the nurse is just dancing in her brain and all the do- the doctor and the sheriff's just like what the fuck is going on here did she have like a leather dress underneath her nurse's outfit she had some sort of weird like velvety dress underneath her nurse's outfit okay and she got transported along with the cart that she had been pushing around which doesn't make sense. I, why would you know what? I don't care. At this stage, I don't care. Because at this point, the alien is just doing his shit and gives no fucks about Dan. Exactly. So one of the things that at this point he's Dan is like, yeah, I'm fucked. This is fucked. I need to at least kill this alien. And he's he's got a bit of the fungus on his hand at this stage. He's been he's been made moldy and he's just losing all hope and dropping f bombs on the radio, which you can't do. And he's like, at the very least, maybe the FCC will shut me off if I just keep saying the f word. And then he finds a conveniently located can of germicide. Yeah, the ultimate weapon against this. Wait, was that a, was is that a, a sly reference to War of the Worlds again? Might have been. Because in World of Words, it's the germs that kill the aliens, and this, yeah, oh, it's the germicide. Yeah, have, this, remember, this is a flip on War of the World, so that's why this is a parody. Okay, I can, I can believe that they were just clever enough to do that, that they did that as a throwing the bit on the head. And he goes and he starts spraying this germicide on the alien, and it works for a very short amount of time. Yeah, Dan's... Speaking on the radio, he's like, I'm gonna kill this alien with this germicide! Ah! And he runs out. Yeah, and Dan also says the line, eat this scrotum head. <laughs> Which is, yeah, okay. Correct, that's how, what it looks like. <laughs> oh god, he looks like Deadpool's balls. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> 
But Lisa is outside. She's reporting on this all when a fanboy starts running up to her. I don't. It, this was very odd. But she's no, the one this, who's being this, targeted. Uh, the fanboy was the creepy guy who was lusting after Bunny. Because he was trying to find oh, her. Oh, right. He was Because he was trying to find her. And at this point, Dan finds out that the aliens are using his voice as a focus. And he doesn't stop talking. And, well, the alien won't let him. Fair enough. The alien won't let him. And... They are. They try to abduct Lisa, only to abduct Dorky Band Kid by accident. And at that point, we learn that the process can be reversed, as Dorky Band Kid is sent back because the alien only wants the hottest babes. <laughs> and the alien's arguing with the robot again, like, what the fuck did you do, you worthless hunk of tin, and then exploded the robot. The robot <laughs> explodes, and it's funny. <laughs> I also, I just enjoy their, their gibberish arguing, like the robots doing his standard beeps and boops and the aliens just doing these garbled noises and stuff. And I'm just like, I love, I love their nonverbal arguments. It's so great. Oh, exactly. 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 But after Dan realizes that the process can be reversed, he decides to go on the offensive yet again. And during the time, this time, Lisa is abducted and brought into the container where she still has her camera and she's recording it all and transmitting it all. And we get a mediocre, mediocre alien fight between Dan and the alien, which is ultimately resolved when Dan stabs the alien with a mildly sharp implement. Which is a box cutter. Yeah, it seems, it seems like if you're an intergalactic alien... You shouldn't be able to have your spacesuit be punctured by the by the equivalent of like a sharp rock. Yeah, the the alien done popped with the box cutter and its outer suit falls apart and it reveals to be some creepy ass barnacle worm creature that looks like Audrey 2 and the sandworm from Beetlejuice had a baby. Uh, that's exactly what I had wrote in my notes, was just, feed me, Seymour. <laughs> it looks like Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors and the sandworm from Beetlejuice had a baby. It's That's exactly what it is. And he's got, like, these little robot legs. He's just going around, like, little robot legs going around. It's... <laughs> Although, no, was that out at this point? No, it wasn't. I was going to say that the robot legs might have been a reference to uh, Basket Case 3. But I don't think that was out at this point. Hmm. Fair enough. But, as... And I will say, the practical effects in this movie have been super good. Like, they look dumb, but to the point where it's, like, intentionally dumb. And they're still pretty right. good. Yeah, the the little animatronic that they have for this, this weird worm thing is... It's fine. It's fine. It's no worse than the puppets from Puppet Master. If anything, I would say it's actually better than the Puppet Master, considering they had to basically redo this entire radio studio and cover it in, like, this bio-mold technology and whatnot and make it look alien, but also, like, over top of the existing structures. So, I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah. And, and so, as Dan gets control of the radio station back, 
He grabs on to the weird phalanges that the alien has been using to operate his stuff. Starts beaming the girls out, and they all gang up on the alien. And it's a, it's real stupid. It's real stupid how they're fighting this alien. Yeah, because it and turns all... out Nurse Lady's cart that she got abducted with had a fuck ton of germicide on it. Right, and they all just grab it, start spraying the fucking alien, and the alien's like, yo, this shit sucks, I'm out, and teleports away. Also, Corky's alive! Yeah, he's he was just kind of vibing in the mold thing, which, why, how, I don't care. Maybe it was made of psilocybin. Maybe. He's just being, he's completely <laughs> coated in penicillin. No, psilocybin, as in magic mushrooms. No, what I... <laughs> Imagine if the aliens, like, weaponry was all made out of penicillin and actively <laughs> healed any humans it came into contact with. <laughs> oh, gosh. That would be pretty funny, actually. Oh, God, I've been du- duped in this fucking thing of penicillin. I feel better than ever. <laughs> hey, my toenail infection's gone. <laughs> <laughs> But Alien disappears, everyone goes home, everyone's happy. Uh, Flip comes in and is like, hey, give me the story. You did the cool story on the alien. And she's like, good luck, you gotta you gotta blow up the picture. And she pulls out the camera that's been shrunken down. He's like, haha, get the footage out, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, why, why was her camera still tiny when the nurse's cart Shh. was grown with Shh. her? Shh, don't think about it. Don't think about it. But afterwards, we learn that one of the women, uh, who, who was it? Bunny. Which, which, Bunny. Bunny was not returned to her normal size. She's still tiny. Which at the end, it's like, okay, why? Why was that the part of the movie that you did? And it was because, like a fucking Marvel movie, there was an end credits scene. There's a post credit Dol- scene! <laughs> There is a post-credit scene where Dollman shows up and is like, "Man, I gotta. I should probably go and help this girl out now that she's a doll woman." There is a post-credit doll- scene with Dollman on his way to Pahuda to rescue Bunny. He's hitchhiking twenty miles away from Pahuda. Well, no, he's not. He's not rescuing her. He's just going to talk to her about how she's now a very tiny human being. And, and try to like comfort her and I wrote down doll man is now a grief counselor <laughs> but this this is the first inclination of the connected universe between full moon movies that will be expanded upon with doll man and at this point we need to keep a running tally of all the universes that are connected and on one final note before we wrap up the discussion of this movie, all the polka was done by a band called the Ukuleleans, and that's wonderful. Oh god, that's a great <laughs> pun. That's a that's a great fucking pun. <laughs> I liked this. Anyway, movie. I I I it it was pretty good. It was I, it was fun. Of all the movies. Of all the ways that this could have gone, I think that this whole sort of not taking itself so seriously kind of weird route, having these music videos, of all the films we've watched, this is definitely one of the weirder ones. 
And I think that's to its benefit. It's not a bad thing. Like, with a lot of the movies that we watch here, I'm constantly like, okay, this has been dragging on forever. Because some of these movies just, they're only barely feature length. And they still feel way too damn long. This is the second movie that I was, that didn't feel like it was a chore to watch. I had fun with this one. What was the first one? Dollman. Dollman! Dollman! Uh, speaking of very tiny protagonists, Casey, what would be the next thing that we're watching? Oh, I'm so excited because next week we are looking at Full Moon Features' other featured franchise. And that is Demonic Toys. Demonic Toys! Demonic Toys! I'm Weirdly, so excited. a ripoff of Puppet Master by the people that made Puppet Master? I, I know. I'm so excited. This movie is so bad. Full disclosure, I've watched demonic toys before i've watched uh the kill count for demonic toys but i've not watched the movie so i'm very excited the movie is amazing i am genuinely so excited to talk to you about it but that is a discussion for another time right now everyone i would like to say make sure you are keeping any fungal infections under control and i hope you have a horrible evening bye bye